Hi, welcome to Religion and Story, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss anything and everything, but always from a Christian perspective. I have myself and the other Crouch Brothers with me today, and for today's podcast, we are going to be discussing the role of elders in a church congregation, some of the questions that might arise, and the ways that elders can be most effective. Guys, if it's all right with y'all, I'll start off with a few thoughts, and then we will we'll go into our questions. Well, first of all, uh, we have the idea that elders are the spiritual head of a congregation. Now, as Jesus is the head of the church, so he has appointed elders, uh, or he, he gives authority to elders within the congregation to act as a guide. Um, in fact, there are many different words that are interchangeable with the word elders that are found throughout the New Testament. The, uh, the different writers of the New Testament use these words interchangeably because they all have this idea that that as elders, they are guiding the church. So a few of those different words include a shepherd or also translated as pastor. You have the idea of a bishop, which is translated from the Greek for episkopos, which is where we get the antecedent for the word episcopalian. You'll notice the similarities there. And then also presbyter, um, which is where we once again get the antecedent for the word presbyterian. And finally, we have perhaps the most commonly used word is elder, which shouldn't be confused with just being old, but being advanced, uh, having wisdom. And with all of those words, we have the we get the idea of someone who uh, has authority, someone who guides, and someone who is able to lead the flock of God, the church. Um, many of the passages that cover what it means to be an elder uh, just kind of assume that churches have elders. Uh, for example, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 talk about the qualifications for being an elder. And one of the debates that has gone on for the last 2,000 years, because the Bible isn't completely clear on it, is how do we appoint elders in our churches? So, laying out some of those issues, I'll go ahead and throw it, Stephen and Daniel. What questions do we want to talk about first? Uh, well, uh, the first one, let's just take a look at the role of an elder. What does it look like? Specifically, what are the qualifications for an elder? We can see that if you look at First Timothy 3, there's a whole list of them. Titus also, I think, mentions some of them as well. Blameless, pick a version. I mean, because... If you read it out of the NIV, King James, English Standard Version, New American Standard, they're all going to be a little bit different words, which do play a big part in how you uh, interpret what the elder should be. And, you know, I, I like to take it from a stereo effect where you take all of them and make sure that they line up with uh, each one. But more importantly, you want to go to the original Greek to see uh, exactly what it lines up. For example... Verse 2 in First Timothy 3 says, a bishop must then be blameless. That's the King James Version. And I believe in the English Standard Version, 
it says that well, what Paul's uh, an overseer must be above reproach. That's what I've heard most commonly. Uh, going from there, must be the husband of one wife, whether you take that as if they're not supposed to be polygamists or if they are not to have been divorced and remarried. We can discuss that. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So take a pick. What do we want to talk about? How exactly these qualifications is what we call them. That's the the subtitle in First Timothy 3. If your Bible has those, it says qualifications of elders. So they have to be qualified. What does, for example, what is hospitable? What makes somebody hospitable and what level of hospitality must somebody live up to to be an elder? So what level, so the level of hospitality that, that an elder must have. Yeah, I think it might be easier to say the level of hospitality that would disqualify you, which is, of course, showing no hospitality. However, I, I think that we should see this list as, as perfect principles to strive for. So the level of hospitality that an elder should have, it should be the hospitality that Jesus showed. Always looking to serve the people that are below him. Does that mean you have to have another family from the church over to your house for a meal once a week? I don't know. But it does mean that the elder is to follow after Jesus in his example of hospitality. Now, um, Michael, I, I know you are a big supporter of saying that the elders should also be able to to be a full-time minister if that's what the church actually needed. Daniel, how do you feel about the the qualification that says an elder or an overseer must be able to teach? To what extent do, do they need to be able to fill that role? Uh, well, I mean, there are some things are pretty objective. Husband of one wife, uh, not a drug, drunkard. Those are pretty objective things that you can look at and know an answer to. But some of them are pretty subjective, hospitable, above reproach able to teach. What does that mean? And um, to what degree should they be separate from all Christians who should be above reproach and able to teach? To answer your questions, I'd say if the if the elder is, in fact, the episcopos, the overseer, and they are overseeing any full-time ministers, and they are overseeing any teaching done by the deacons, then they themselves need to have a robust knowledge of the scriptures and be able to uh, be guardians of orthodoxy, to guard, protect what is right and what is true, protect the gospel. And I believe it even talks about that in Titus. What that looks like specifically, it's hard to say, but with certainty we can say they have to have some of the best knowledge and ability to teach in the congregation. Yeah. So I think it's, it's one way we could think about it is that there will be someone in the congregation, objectively speaking, who is the best teacher. You know, someone will have a better ability to teach than everyone else in the congregation. Now, does that mean that only one person can be uh, an overseer or an elder because only one person is the best at teaching? Well, obviously not. Um, being able to teach is a, is a standard, you know, and I, I would interpret it as saying that you are willing to teach 
and you're able to command the respect of the congregation to listen to your teaching. Now, Daniel, as you were saying, that means that you need to be studied in the Word. You know, there's, I'm looking through the passage right now. I'm trying to remember if it says here or someone else, but they should not be a recent convert. So obviously it's someone who has believed the teachings of Jesus, believed the Word of God for a long time. And they have authority, or they speak with authority because they are using authority. So, so is there a difference, though, between somebody who is able to speak well, they can give a speech, and somebody who is able to educate? I would be interested to see uh, what the actual Greek word for teach is here. I would assume it would have to do something with rabbi. I think you're right, Stephen, that. And the teaching is going to have to do with education and something having to do with knowledge. We're going on about the the skill of speaking to somebody as if uh, somebody who can get up and command a classroom or a Bible class, that that's not necessarily the ability to teach. I've heard lots of people just get up and run their mouth and give me absolutely uh, just, you know, milk and I'm ready for some meat and... Uh, it's not beneficial. They're not teaching anything because they don't have the knowledge of the scripture. And I think that may be the yeah. kind of the stem. You have to know the scripture to be able to teach it, or else you, you're just teaching man's words rather than God's word. So let me defend what I was saying earlier. I think that what you're saying, Stephen, is another part of it. You can't just have you can't just have a knowledge of the scripture. Just just being knowledgeable doesn't get it done. I'm, I'm shifting down to verse 7 in, in the third chapter. Uh, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. So if you're really smart, yet uh, you don't command respect, you know, that, that does not qualify you. It, it, it is a complete list. So maybe someone's really good at teaching, but they don't command respect. And no, you know, excuse me, someone, someone has the knowledge but no one will listen to them. And another person, like you were saying, Stephen, uh, people will listen to them, but they don't have command over the word of God. Well, I would say both of those people are not qualified. Uh, they need to be able to educate people on the word of God, uh, but at the same time, people should see it in their lives that they are worthy of respect. If you don't mind, I want to ask a, a follow-up question to Stephen's original question is what happens when uh, we talk about an elder meeting certain qualifications, what happens when that changes, when an elder no longer meets those qualifications? So we talked about some of the objective things, like what happens when an elder is no longer the husband of one wife, and so his wife dies? Um, that's sort of a yeah. far example. That's an example on one end of the spectrum. Or there's what happens if they do get a divorce while serving as the elder. Another example is what happens if their child falls away from the faith. Michael, what do you think, how should the church handle these touchy, special situations? Right. Well, and before we move on, uh, I wish uh, our listeners could sh see us sh uh, show our, raise our hand. And I would say uh, raise your hand between us if you have attended a church where this was an issue. I think all three of us would raise our hands, and then I could say raise a hand where this has been an issue in your own family. Not only our dad at one time was an elder and had to step down for for 
reasons that he was no longer qualified. Also, our grandfather had these questions asked of him and wrestled with them constantly. And at one point, if I remember the story correctly, at one point, he believed that he was not qualified to be an elder. And without the situation changing, he actually changed his mind and decided to accept the appointment of being an elder. So these are not easy questions. So let, let's let's get into it, though. Talking about the, the place of, of a wife, I think that of an eldership, while we give the title of elder to a man, is very much a position that is filled by two people. Uh, we always talk about elders' wives and the prominence they have and leadership that they have in the church, especially among the women. But really, they, they are part of the glue that keep a lot of congregations together. So let's say that one of those wives died. I would be of the opinion that the husband, the, the, the elder, who that was, was the husband and is now, now widowed, would not necessarily have to resign himself. Because I would take the translation as saying that he is the husband of, you know, he's a one-woman man. That was his woman, the wife of, of his, that he loved. <clears throat> Sorry, I don't want to make it sound like he possesses her. But um, her death does not disqualify him. It might make it more difficult, and it might even make it to where he wants to resign because he's not able to fulfill his duties in the same way. I think that's respectable. Now, if there was a divorce, we would get into the question, was it a scriptural divorce? And I think if it was an unscriptural divorce, then most likely the congregation would say that we no longer put our trust in you and don't feel like we can continue on uh, with you as an elder. And we have to remember that serving as an elder, it's not a right, uh, but it is a privilege bestowed with authority bestowed on on the elder by God and trust given to the elder by the church. And when what kind trust, of authority though? So you're saying I mean, there's authority. a difference. There's a, there's a difference between the type of authority that Jesus uh, came with his ministry in the way he taught with the type of authority that an elder has. They're not you know like a, a Supreme Court justice for the United States government, which that's another topic that we might get into later in this podcast about how elders are almost viewed as a political office. They're very administrative versus being a shepherd. But yeah, they're, uh, what type of authority do they actually have over the church? I think we would all agree that they have no more authority than what scripture gives them, and they use that as the authority. Well, um, I find it I, it's hard to disagree with what you just said. However, it's also hard to come to an, an agreement on what authority Scripture gives to elders. What do you mean? So I think the Bible is very clear on, well, the Bible continually talks about qualifications for elders. But at the same time, and you all feel free to disagree with me here, but I think that Scripture assumes that the, the church knows what elders should do. And for that reason, it's unclear about it. Um, it assumes Can I, that the elder... Go ahead. I just want to interject and say, I think we talked about this in our minister podcast, 
I think that the elders can be related to U.S. government. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which they can't, and Mike seems that we may talk about that. But in this instance, I think uh, democracy is a good example of this. So I think, as we said with, for ministers, God blesses certain individuals with certain abilities where they can lead a congregation. So maybe you have the ability to preach and minister, you maybe you have the ability to oversee. And what happens is the Spirit gives an individual that ability. They use that God-given ability, and then the congregation recognizes that and witnesses to that and exalts them by giving them a role in which they can use that God-given ability. Um, and in that way, it's slightly democratic. Um, that They have as much authority as the congregation gives to them. Um, of course, right. and Michael and Stephen, I'm sure you all uh, instinctually are going to pose the rebuttal that the congregation is also under them. And that makes it a little bit more difficult. Let me ask you a question. So in Scripture, we have the example of Paul appointing elders and other elders appointing elders. Are there, do we have examples of the church appointing their elders? We do have examples mainly with ministers, of ministers being recognized by others as having a gift and being exalted to their position. It happens with Paul and it happens with Timothy. The reason I said that about elders and ministers is because I know that Jack Lewis and Ferguson, what's Everett Ferguson? Everett, yeah. Um, that they both have written on this subject and I think it's actually Ferguson specifically who gives that sort of outline that I just gave. And as is common with both of them, for every statement, they have a thousand scriptural references to back up that case. So I, I don't know them off the top of my head, but I know that they know them. Um, and I'm just saying that's the outline that they would give. So for the why, since Daniel made that mention, uh, I believe the book that you're referring to is the book by Everett Ferguson is called the Church of Christ and Ecclesiology for Today, which another <laughs> book by Jack Lewis uh, is called Leadership Questions Confronting the Church. Three other books that any anyone who's listening to this podcast might find interesting, good resources. The Eldership by J.W. McGarvey is one of the classics. I've actually seen it, it referenced, too, by other authors. The Church and Its Elders by J.B. Myers and Shepherding God's Flock by Flavel Yakely, uh, who we've, we've mentioned to some of his work in previous podcasts. So plenty of, plenty of books have been written on this subject, so right. plenty of resources other, in, in addition to the Bible, but that certainly don't supplant the Bible. Let me uh, go back to the husband and wife role in the eldership. So there's a couple things. One, what about men who are not married? Is the, having a wife, there's not necessarily anything that says that they must be married, but or is the husband of one wife, is it really just saying that they shouldn't have been married and then remarried or have multiple wives, but does that not speak against somebody who is celibate, just not married, who's devoted themselves to the church? Is the wife mandatory? That's a good question, and I will be honest and say that I have gone back and forth on that one. I started off as a as someone who was very adamantly for a man must have a wife, 
Then someone uh, brought up the argument that uh, with that qualification, you disqualify Paul and, oh, Jesus from being an elder, and that kind of convinced me to go the other way. But then a more practical reason converted me back, saying, using the argument that being an elder is a privilege and part of being an uh, one of the reasons for the qualification of having a wife is that you have to know how to manage a household. And a man who has been single his whole life, now, I've known some great ministers and leaders of the leaders of the church, specific congregations who were single men. They were great leaders in the church, but they didn't serve as elders. The great elders that I have seen are men who know how to first handle their household, and that's why it's not only women, but also faithful children. The whole well, doesn't the same argument apply then? Think about the nature of a household at uh, this time. Uh, a man could have several families living with him, been hurt. If you want to, that's the direct time period. He was single, but managing this entire household of his mother, his sister, all the servants that lived with him in that nature, or can you manage a, a household if you are single? Well, spoiler alert for all of those who have not seen Ben-Hur. But no, I, I think that's a good example. It's also one where I I guess I disagree. I, I think that you know marriage is required because that is the, the archetype of what a marriage is to a household. That is what the relationship is at the congregational level with Jesus to the church, and that is what he is wanting the elders to be, is his earthly representative of authority within the congregation. Uh, not perfect by any means, but, but serving Some people as, would say that you're uh, drawing lines where there are none. I would agree with them. I think that uh, every congregation is responsible for their own interpretation. I've been a, I've been a member of a congregation where I didn't agree with the way uh, the elders were chosen, with the way that they um, with the way that they handled their authority, and unless I'm in charge of the congregation, I'm not going to agree on everything. That's part of being a part of the church is disagreeing with people. Okay.